Hey everyone, welcome back to Scuttlebutt. Thank you again for joining us. I'm Vic. I'm here with William. Howdy, y'all. And as always, we are uh, extremely honored to welcome our guest, Lieutenant General Charles Sherody, sir. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. El Jefe, as <laughs> some may man. say when you're not around, <laughs> yeah. the boss man. So uh, for those who don't know, uh, Lieutenant General Sherody is the uh, CEO of the uh, Marine Corps Association. And uh, again, sir, with your super busy schedule, we really appreciate you taking some time to sit down with us. Um, for those who may not be aware, in the Gazette, uh, we ju just released the logistics edition. Um, it is obviously uh, with all the things going on in the world and everything uh, within the Marine Corps sphere as well. Logistics is a big, big issue. Um, a lot of folks doing some experimenting, a lot of great thought, a lot of great discussion. We thought, who better than to have the former deputy commandant of installations and logistics come in, consider, especially considering you're yeah. just down the hall. So <laughs> luckily, we are able to steal some time. So, sir, thank yeah. you again for being truth here. Truth be told, though, truth be told to both of you that uh, actually what they did is they went down the list of available logistics <laughs> officers, and I happen to be the only one available. So let's go. <laughs> let's say so we don't fool the audiences out there. Sir, <laughs> you know, don't look behind the curtain. <laughs> That's the right. old man is not here. Don't worry <laughs> about Just go focus. Um, well, sir, um, so for those who may not have caught uh, your first uh, episode uh, with us, um, just very briefly, sir, if you could just sort of talk about yourself a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then really uh, some of the things that you've done while you've been here and then where, the, where you see the MCA going. Yeah, great. No, thank, thank you, first, uh, first of all, Vic and Will, for a having me on the show. I really, truly appreciate it. Uh, and uh, so let's see. I've been here about uh, almost two years now. Uh, and uh, it has been a tremendous opportunity, and I'm, I'm honored to be at the, you know, with part of this team. Um, we have, uh, over the last couple of years, I feel, uh, done a couple of things that uh, are of note. Number one is I recognize that the, the flagship, um, I guess, I guess, how, well, how should I say it? The flagship pieces of this association revolve on how we present information to our public. And and this is one of them, right? Sure. Uh, but really where I want to focus is on our magazines, which are really the flagship pieces of the, of the association. And so I think um, that we lead with that. Uh, but something else that has emerged capability-wise within the association, where we've really started to see a kind of a an increased level of excitement and uh, opportunity is in our events. The way we engage uh, our audiences, the way we engage uh, our industry partners, and more importantly, the Marine Corps. And I think that we've really started to work. You know, we started right after COVID coming in is right about the time that I came in. And what we, you know, at that time, I think at 21, we had about 20, 18 events. And now we're up, up to 22. But the events, the number is important. But more importantly is where we're going and why we're going there. So next week we'll be back out to the West Coast as an example with one meth, uh, a full day of professional military education centered around force preservation. Uh, and so what we want to do is we want to have kind of a pairing between our professional dinner award ceremonies and then have another event that really focuses on professional military education. And it's at the MEFs or the forces discretion as far as what they want to do. We enable that discussion. And so next week uh, 
with Sergeant Major Seau and Lieutenant General Smith out at One Meth. We'll be talking about force preservation and resiliency. Bringing in some guest speakers from academia and uh, other best practices and putting it together. And we'll be really focusing on staff NCOs, NCOs, and some company rate officers across the meth to sit down with us. So I think that's, that's an area that's pretty exciting to me. Um, uh, because I think it's a relevant t topic, uh, and more importantly, it's the demand of the meth and what they want from us, and so that's pretty good. The other area that we focused a lot on, and you know, it's it's a little outside of the you know the mainstream association, but it's part of our, and that's really on the on the retail aspect of it. Really getting that, you know, we provide about eighty five percent of all uniforms for uh, the accessions of officers mm -hmm. and so you know we that is a business that we that's a no-fail business uh, we cannot you know uh, we cannot afford to miss a graduation mm -hmm. uh, because you know officers uh, young lieutenants are expecting their uniforms for commissioning so it's very important that we get that right yes, you know and uh, uh, and that uh, and COVID really exposed the vulnerability of the supply chains you know speaking mm, of logistics absolutely. And so we've done some cheetah flips trying to get around and fix everything. And, and I think that we've been able to uh, shore that up and uh, we're in a much better place than we were about a year or two ago. So. Yeah, and that's a, I mean, that's a generational aspect of uh, what we do here. I mean, yeah. thinking when I was a second lieutenant, I, w I went through PLC. Yeah. So I went back to California, normal school guy again. Yeah. And then sure enough, come time for graduation my uniforms and stuff just showed up in the mail yeah uh and it's an aspect i think we just take for granted that it's this sort of automatic thing that's yeah it's an, and, it, and there's so much work when you think about you know just you think about the lead time we're ordering for example not to get not to go down this rabbit hole but i will um you know we order raw materials when i say raw materials the cloth from the manufacturer about two years before the uniforms actually sold and so when you think about that, it takes the manufacturer, you know, six, seven, eight months to to process that order, to ship it to us. We aggregate everything from the material to the buttons to the, you know, to the piping and all that, and then we pull that and we send that to another manufacturer who actually pulls the coats together, and and we're in line. We we compete, you know, our our manufacturer of our uniforms and our raw materials, um, you know, we compete with the academies that need mm -hmm. uniforms like the Air Force, the Navy, Merchant Marines. Uh, we compete with other services. And so we have to be very deliberate, thoughtful, and targeted in how we order and how we how we anticipate disruptions to uh, supply chains and others. So, you know, it's it's uh, I love this business uh, because it is about logistics and how mm -hmm. we pull things together. And it just shows, you know, the fragility of, in this case, the textile industry. Which in America used to be very strong, and sure. you know, but ever since we've we've flattened the world uh, yeah. economically and in, in in manufacturing, you know, a lot of the uh, the retail uh, the excuse me the textile industry has offshored mm -hmm. uh, and great products. The problem is is when you're built when you're making uniforms, uh, you have to be first of first and foremost certified by the Marine Corps to be able to make and resell, which we are. And then secondly, when you do that, you have to abide by the barrier amendment, which says you buy onshore. You know, mm -hmm. you have to buy from U.S. Why? Because you want to you want to bring that economic uh, impact to, you know, made America. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and so but what we're finding is that a lot of the expertise, a lot of the uh, the mills are shut down. 
and so it becomes more and more of a challenge. You sure. Know? So yeah, interesting. Well, that, I mean, that's uh, I mean, that's such a great lead-in uh, to what we're talking about because the state of play right now, as you mentioned, sort of the flattening of the world. Um, these paradigms are going to shift yeah. almost by AO, um, especially if you're talking about concepts like uh, logistic, logistics and contested environments, stand-in forces, expeditionary basing, foraging, yeah. yada, yada. Th these are concepts that um, I don't think we've necessarily grappled with, or at least we took for granted yeah. uh, just in sort of the everyday. And now we're also looking at this paradigm where – the military and the Department of Defense isn't quite at the pinnacle of this distribution system or at least the supply chain like we used to, right? Like right. Uh, corporations like Amazon and, and, yeah. and Amazon <laughs> and all of its no, subsidiaries. No, no. They're mean, doing it in ways yeah. that, that I think a lot of leaders and a lot of key thinkers are seeing yeah. that like we, we, need to, we need to get on board with this. Yeah, you know, it, it. This is a, you know, in, in my generation, as I've kind of looked back on, you know, where we've come from and where we're going or where we think we're going, and and, uh, you know, we, you know, the model was, you know, a very industrial-based model where you build, you know, you, you, the way you build readiness is you build big mountains of stuff and you have them in warehouses mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you have them in uh, at your ready you know we talk about 30 60 90 days of a mefs uh, you know stock you know does anybody even really know what that uh, that is or how much that costs mm -hmm. yeah i'm right. sure somebody does <laughs> uh, it's a lot of money and it's a lot of space um, you know when you look at every supply item um, you know to to something you know we evolve from that to um, to a uh, just in time where you know this was you know early you know I guess early two thousands late nineteen nineties there, you know just in time logistics was all the rage you know hey you know why carry it when you you know mm -hmm. you can get it there well that presupposes that you have a distribution capability mm -hmm. that will allow you to get it there just in time sure right I mean and that you have visibility of a manufacturing and you have a manufacturing industrial base that can respond to just in time. Um, and, and to some degree, I guess we did have that, right? Uh, both from, you know, internal, uh, the the military DOD industrial base, as well as, uh, you know, uh, the civilian industrial base. Time has evolved. And during that time, you know, the world has flattened. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, for the right reasons, economic prosperity, you know, political, geopolitical, uh, you know, uh, shifts, tectonic shifts that uh, enabled us to do that. Um, it has spurred on a really strong economy. But when you're talking about sustaining a force, uh, a, a fight, a combat, you know, just in time logistics isn't necessarily just in time. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, again, it all presupposes that you have the means and capabilities to deliver those things. And I think, you know, today we find ourselves kind of in this, you know, this we're straddled between the way we used to do it. You know, you look at, you know, our build up to OIF, you know, that was a that was a six month to a year build up. Yes, you sir. know, I mean I you know, I remember being in the J four at UCOM, uh, thirty two Liberty ships to get one division, you know, coming across basically. I mm -hmm. mean unbelievable amount of just to get you know the first ad across um and so it takes time to build those capabilities up you know we offloaded 
all of our prepositioned ships. Yep. We went back to home station. We picked up all of our stuff. And that was kind of, you know, the old, uh, I guess if you want to call it that, the old model of conventional warfare, you know, line everything up and across we go, you know. I know it's more multidimensional than that. but um, And so, you know, that time has changed. And so as we look into the future, and, and I believe what Force Design 2030 asks of us, um, you know, that that is, you know, it's a significant shift. Mm-hmm. And uh, from that, now here's the challenge. Do you shift the entire sustainment and all that encompasses everything, right, to accommodate the stand-in force? Or do you enable a sustainment capability which, which um, is flexible enough to do that but also be able to retain a more conventional historical approach to you know, the Ukraine-like model, if you will. Mm-hmm, absolutely. You know? And I think, I think that's the flexibility that we have to build. And that's the challenge, truly, is uh, without giving away the house, um, uh, you know, how do we, how are we able to do that? You know, and, I, and you know, there's, there's great minds working on that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why they got rid of me, you know, so, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but truly that's, th- that, that is the, the, the coin of the realm, so to speak, is how, you know, if you can figure that out, then you've got it, mm-hmm. right? Um, um, people are, you know, people look at a map of the Pacific Ocean and they, and they draw lines between it and big blue arrows and they go, this is how you solve the problem until you sailed on that water. Mm-hmm. Until you realize the vast differences between nodes, um, it's kind of hard to fully comprehend that, you know. And I and I sometimes I worry about that because people are quick to put things on on a map and do the arrows and all those things, sure. but they really don't understand distance in terms of Pacific distances, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, and that's why I think the key, I, I the key, uh, I guess, function. If you were to look at it from from those lens, in this in trying to solve this problem, it's about distribution. Yeah. How you solve if you can solve the distribution problem in a contested environment, uh, I think you've you've solved the issue of how you're going to sustain the stand-in force or advanced expeditionary base operations. I think if you got that, you know, and I and that's where we have to really put our mind and effort to. Yes, sir. I, I th- that's. Uh, Obviously, um, it's a very insightful um, outlook on where we're at. I wonder, as we mentioned Ukraine, um, there's so many things I think that we can take away uh, as sort of um, almost like uh, scouts looking at the, you know at the, at the NFL combine. Everybody's got their clipboard. Yeah. We're all watching everybody. You know how many you know bench presses? What's that forty <laughs> time? You know what's the the yeah. vert look like? Um, but nobody's quite, as you mentioned, outside of just sort of the analytics. No one's really figured out then. Or what does all that mean? Like, what do we? How do we take all that data? And especially, so we're looking at Ukraine as sort of this test bed. But there's so many things that are specific to Ukraine, like yeah. having allied forces in neighboring nations. We start to looking at something in the first island chain or Taiwan. The closest place we could probably get to would be Darwin. Yeah. where we could have like an Iron Mountain sort of model where we could pull from. Um, there's obviously, there's Guam. It's helpful, but 
the things we could take away from Ukraine aren't one for one analogous to what we'd yeah. be able to use the no, first island chain. Uh, that's a great point. First of all, let me let me say this. I mean, wherever we 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 will end up fighting, uh, we'll we'll never do it as a, a a nation by ourselves, right? So we will always fight with partners. There's no mm -hmm. that's a given. Mm -hmm. And so your point about Australia, yes, but there's you know there's the Philippines. Philippines In fact, today we yep. see you know the opening of, of of multiple U.S. bases in the future, as an agreement was mm -hmm. just inked here, uh, you know, in this last couple of weeks. Uh, allowing us to do that, you know, Thailand, Philippines, uh, you name it, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. uh, our partners are there. The challenge is still time and distance yeah. and then national resolve. Yeah. And so as a stand in force that is in competition day on day out, day in and day out before we transition to a blunt force, um, we have to have the capacity and the capability to execute that. Right. And so sometimes that comes as as going alone because you're you still haven't transitioned to that partnership you may have a single partner in the country that you're operating in but the rest of the collective pacific asian countries mm -hmm, are mm -hmm. not part of that yet right because there's you're you're in competition you're just and you're they've got to consider and, their and own you're deterring, right you're, their their national interests right. aren't at stake yet right and so we haven't we haven't turned that faucet on and so you have to look at how do i sustain that stand in force initially um, in in competition, and then how do I enable it to transition to a blunt force uh, rapidly? Mm. You know, and then be able to sustain it. I believe. I believe part. I know. I don't believe. I I know that part of the role of the combatant commander, and ultimately, from a service perspective, the component commander, is to is to establish and prepare the the theater for the introduction of in our case, Marine forces, right? And so everything that we do at the compo at the component level is about enabling that. Mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. that's what we do. So, so it's, 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 it's uh, enabling host nation agreements. It's recognizing what the capabilities and capability gaps are and then being able to pin those types of agreement. It's, it's doing market surveys, and I say that in the commercial sense, but it truly is. It's what can the market bear? When you talk about foraging, you know, I get this, I get this, ex you know, I get this image in my mind. Well, foraging is great for, you know, a soft team of about three or four people <laughs> that are out there and they kill one chicken and they can survive off of that for the way. But the minute you introduce more than 10, you know, U.S. Marines, you know, that's devouring. That's not foraging. You know, that that's, hey, I want my chow and I want it now. But, and and chow is an easy thing because I think you can to some degree probably uh, you know, you can live off the economy. You can have some survival, basic survival things. Sure. That, you know, all those things. I get that. But how do you how do you forage other things, mm -hmm. other things that are needed? You know, you're always going to have to have a supply chain that enables repair parts. You're always going to have to have an am ammunition uh, mm -hmm. supply chain. You're always going to have to have those kinds of things, regardless. Sure. You know? And and I saw in your notes in here. You know, what about you know, forging uh, and foreign weapons and ammo. Great concept. The problem is we don't all have a standardized caliber and we don't have a standardized right. round, right? Now, I take you back to the NATO model. When we were when we were in the Cold War, NATO standard directed us as we did our buys, we directed, you know, whether it was a 7.62 or 5.56, 
we had standard standardization and certain capabilities for that reason so that we could pick up that weapon system or that have mutually supporting agreements that enabled us to have uh, similar capabilities so that we could have interchanging of stuff, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why you have a NATO standard. So everybody can kind of have similar and you can reduce the supply chain or you can have a lead nation supply uh, one one item over another item and things like that. But in the Pacific, we don't have that. Yep. We have disparate countries that have come together under, you know, different agreements, uh, whether it's ASEAN or, you know, whatever you call sure. it. Uh, but from a military standpoint and military capabilities and supply systems, they are they are uniquely different, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you, you don't have that. So, yeah, you could pick up an AK-47. Great. You know, you probably found a lot of those around, but then you've got to change the whole force to do that, right? Absolutely. And there was an article uh, that was actually <laughs> really well written uh, in the Gazette that had talked a little bit to this aspect. And there, his solution was um, we, need to, uh, we need to open and expand our foreign weapons course so that Marines have this basic understanding of the weapon so that part of forging could be when I'm out of ammo with this, I'm going to pick up the dead enemy's weapon and be able yeah. to use it, which is such a, I think is, is a, is a nuance at the tactical level that can be explored, but it really doesn't do much for us at the operational or strategic. Cause like you mentioned, distribution supply chain, it doesn't solve that problem. Yeah. 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 Again, it's not like, oh, well, he can pick up that AK, so then no, now yeah. we can shut this part off well, and focus on Maybe, maybe as as because as, uh, your use of the term supply chain there is interesting because uh, reading the um, March Ishii Gazette, which is available for everyone to go check out. Shameless plug, love yeah, it. Yeah, join, join the Marine Corps Association, read the Gazette. Um, we're seeing like less of the terminology of sustainment chain, which implies like linearness with now with sustainment web. So within that sort of yeah. like changing mindset, is that more of a, a, a greater possibility where you have like rather than, you know, having to worry about out, outfit it via a direct chain, uh, like supply chain, yeah. you have a more distributed. Yeah. Is that more? Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, that's a great point. You know, I mean, we have historically been linear in our supply chain thinking. Mm -hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, it, it you know, a equals B equals C, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, I think in the future, as we look to a, uh, a, a web approach, the way I, and I may have it wrong, but I'll, uh, my thought when I think of web, I, I think of, of all the capabilities that are out there to sustain a force, that they are integrated and they are resilient. In other words, what do I mean by that? So... I may have the Fleet Industrial Center in Yakuska, Japan. I'll have 3rd MLG in Okinawa. I'll have host nation support in the Philippines. I'll have uh, fuel coming from, you know, an Air Force KC-135. I'll have, you know, and what I do is when I look at this as a logistician, I look at it as a truly complex web for each class of supply. And how do I integrate that web on top of the stand-in force mm -hmm. to be able to draw the most efficiently and reliably and flexible and redundant all the all the all the characteristics of logistics planning into this one singular point of delivery? You know, yeah. And that's that's how you've got to look at it. In the past, what have we done? We've said the foxhole, which is a marine foxhole, goes back to the yep. you know to Reach the back. to yeah. it reaches back to its. It's supply chain. It's supply. It's it's uh, combat trains. 
which go back to, you know, it's supporting direct support and element, which goes all the way back to the MLG. It may all the way go back all the way to Pendleton. And then Pendleton and Lejeune are the ones that are looking at how do I how do I get this from DLA or whatever? And what what in in the web, what it allows you to do is have a have that young, you know, uh, marine, uh, regardless of what rank, because we want a multifunctional logistics marine that's able to look at the entire theater and look at all the capability logistics capability and go, you know what, fuel is over here. It's probably better for me to reach over here. Or that supply part, that alternator that I need for that vehicle, instead of going back to Camp Kinzer Canal, I can get it from the Army that's located, you know, 200 miles mm -hmm. closer over here. Mm -hmm. Or these mm -hmm. guys have it in their back, you know, in their supply class 9 block over there. Or the local Honda dealer carries it over here. Right. So it's, being, it's having visibility of the entire logistics architecture and then being able to integrate that and being able to pull, push, and pull as needed based on, you know, how how you see it on the ground. Very complex. What that means is that you're going to have to raise the education and experience level of our young logisticians, you know, because they have to be able to understand sure. that all this is out there. And how do I how do I pull it, you know? That, that brings an interesting <clears throat> question, especially as we're talking, well, I guess as we – broach the idea of AI yeah. <clears throat> autonomous systems this idea I, I wonder how much do we need to bring the younger generation up or is it more that we need to bring us older folks down because it seems yeah. like for some of these younger kids this kind uh. of behavior is intuitive because they've grown up with this multifaceted multi-leveled layered domain this world wide web that has become yeah. a, an absolute critical part of their lives i think maybe they understand that concept maybe than us who grew up with yeah. like you said this sort of linear model and so and if that is the case then what does the marine corps or the dod as matter need to do to to make that understanding that these kids already have a reality for them to then start manipulating like does gc gc GCS Marine Corps, is it flex does it provide that level of flexibility and oversight or do we need to start looking at more having AI do more for us so yeah. that it is just a push button sort of thing? Yeah, I mean I would, you know, um, I think to your point, you know, I'm I'm very analog in my view of the world, I guess, you know, just because of my age and my experience. And so, you know, does a young Marine today have the the intellectual uh, or the experience to do more? Yeah, absolutely. Th that goes without, you know, each generation has uh, a higher level of, of technological um, exposure and therefore has, you know, knows how to, to employ it better than, than I ever would be. So... I, I agree wholeheartedly with you there, Vic. You know, what is what do we have to do today? I think, you know, um, I think when you say GCSS, GCSS Marine Corps right now is a Marine Corps capability. Now, it has tentacles that reach out to other services, uh, stockpiles, DLA, those kinds of things. It's a start, but it still is a very clunky, you know, and if you're talking about, a small force on an island, you know, is that the right solution? Mm. I think we need something that's more, um, more versatile, more flexible, it's faster responding. Uh, you know, when I go to when I go to Amazon, 
I don't care what the hell's behind it. <laughs> right. All I care is that I I look at that car part, and it is what it is, and it gets delivered. And get it by tomorrow. That's yeah. it. That's all I care about. I don't care where it comes from. Yeah, you know, there's some people that say, well, I don't want to buy it from this country or that country because of quality. But again, let's let's move all those prejudices out of the way and biases. Let's just focus on you know an app that is centered and gives the gives the individual on the ground. Uh, number one, familiarity, because they know how to use that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, number two, reliability. Uh, yep. And there's a high level of confidence that when you use this, it will come. Um, but behind it, behind that app, you have to have all the pieces plugged in. Sure. And that's where I keep going back to we have to today, in day-to-day -day work at the component combatant level, you have to enable that. And even at the service level, you have to you have to work all those pieces out, both the legacy pieces as well as the ones sure. that we think ahead. Yes, AI can enable us because AI will enable us to predictively anticipate yep. what our consumption rates are, what our failure rates are, what our you know, what our resupply rates are, all of those things. And we'll be able to do those calculations and think in advance and perhaps maybe the things that we want to pre-stage, we want to cache, are those things that the system kicks out and says, you know what, you're going to need a lot of this stuff. And uh, you're probably going to need this. Uh, you won't have the distribution means to do it. So let's hide in plain sight. Let's build a, you know, stuff worth of, you know, containers worth of stuff and just park it in a country. Who cares if we, you know, it's expensable stuff as long as it's not precision right. or any of the more sensitive things those are the things that we can deal with exceptions i'd rather i'd rather position food and water and and uh tires and tires and crap like that, that yeah. oh, sorry that that don't uh that are that it's take up a lot of space i don't want to waste i don't want to waste valuable strategic lift or operational lift on you know things let me give you a story when we started out oif um uh, when we first started out after 9-11, um, and we were doing uh, sustainment to Northern Alliance into uh, out of uh, uh, out of the UCOM AOR, we were we were carrying in the back of C-17s. We were carrying fill rock, so that we could lay we could lay aprons down. We could lay you know we could lay uh, runways down mm. to enable throughput. I mean, that's air supremacy there. And when you can do that uninterrupted and you can afford to have C-17 carrying fill, that's pretty impressive, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was the number one priority to move, and we moved it, you know. Um, that was seen as the most important thing. In tomorrow's fight with a com pure competitor, we won't have that. Right. And so you've got to work around that. You've got to work around, get rid of all the stuff that you think you will mm -hmm. need, the high end, you know, the the sure. the, the MREs, because we can we can afford to lose those either through spoilage or through loss in combat or whatever. Put those somewhere where you think you 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 might be operating out of, uh, and then really focus on the niche things, the missiles, the precision stuff, those parts. Now you can now you can use a smaller footprint and distribution, smaller lift requirement, and you can get those in and out under you know under under the radar so to speak for that stand in force. I'm not talking about that's how you should deal with the entire you know spectrum of uh, you know from stand in all the way up to blunt all the way up to 
uh, you know, a larger force presence. Mm-hmm. But for the small things, you could yeah. do that, you know. Um, so it's 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 prepositioned caches, you know, located around hiding in plain sight, so to speak, however Absolutely. you want to call it. So. No, that's awesome. And then, so to that point then is where one of the, you know, the big <coughs> sort of lightning rod um, issues that have come up has been this um, you know, decommissioning of the MIPS rods. Yeah. Is that because we're seeing that, like you said, like we're just going to hide in plain sight on this stuff, so that's going to take a bunch of space off of the MIPS rods. And as we sort of like, n- as we start to take away cube space on the MIPS rounds, we realize that, well, actually, we don't even need the ship anymore because that ship was just carrying yeah, sort so of it our... It was a ferry. It was a conduit, yeah. Is that uh, is yeah. that sort of the thinking behind? So let's not blame the reduction of the Mipsron on force design. Because oh, absolutely. No, right. no. Let's not. This is for the audience. Sure, sure. Because Mipsron was reduced well before General Berger and the, and the team decided that they were going to do. You know, we already uh, we already mothballed a, uh, uh, a squadron out of out of UCOM AOR. You know, that was directly there. So let's not go that path. Um, let's you know. So today, as you know, we look at it. The, the other issue, and it's kind of a, another issue. I believe that you know, Mipsron also became, to the naval service, became a contentious because you've got to replace those those uh, those ships. Yeah. Right, and that's a cost. Who's gonna Who's gonna pay for that? Against amphibs, against you know, uh, that's an MSC cost. That's a transcom cost. I get it, and all those things. But, but that's in the broader mm-hmm. shipbuilding mm-hmm. arena. So there's a there's there's political service political issues tied with, you know, the Mipsron that could be, you could look at it and you go, well, yeah, it's a it's a force design twenty thirty problem. I don't I I believe there's some of that because as you change the force around, you also look at yeah, perhaps we don't need to your point, Vic. We don't need as much space on the MIPSRON, right? Conceptually, we change how we operate because, let's face it, you know, if we are in a fight with a near peer comp- or with a peer competitor, uh, do you not believe that they know how we're going to get there? <laughs> right. <laughs> right? So what's the first thing, you know? An undefended uh, massive ship. Uh, yeah. yeah let's if you've ever been out to Saipan, you know, and you look at the ships on hook there, you know, the squadron, Right across from it is a Chinese, you know, they're anchored facing the Chinese casino. So (laughs) you're to tell me that when we pull anchor that those guys don't know where they're headed, you know, Mm -hmm. in in a time Mm -hmm. of crisis. So I I do think that we we if we were to rely on them, we would be extremely vulnerable. So Mm -hmm. but I don't think we we throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, on this, because I think that um, they do bring a capability in a permissive environment, enable us to. To, to build and set the force if that's what the scenario calls for. So we need to be careful on that aspect, too, is that we don't go too far in in atrophying that capability and then ultimately determining, well, it's not that important because, you know, we're not. No, it's scenario dependent. It sure. gives us the flexibility, strategic flexibility, to be able to utilize it if and when the opportunity. It's just how much can we do mm-hmm. that, right? Mm-hmm. Um you know, yeah, it's not a panacea. Yeah, it's not it's not it. B- but it's it's a phenomenal concept and it's been proven time and time again. The question is is will we be able to employ that capability in the future? Probably some level of hybrid. Once we look if we if we're operating in a non uh, non permissive environment and we're able to secure the environment enough so that we can bring in the ships, absolutely. W- why not? 
we we need that. So there's there's probably a level of of hybrid concept mm -hmm. there that you know needs to be explored more and more. So, uh, but I think in the future we'll see, you know, geographic uh, prepositioning as well as maritime prepositioning as well as I call it land-based preposition. Sorry, not geographic. You know, maritime um, hiding in plain sight. Sure. You're gonna have to build the whole plethora of of prepositioning and re-envision it. You know. MPS is a phenomenal capability. Sure. I've used it many times, and I'll tell you, there's, that's what's made us. That's what's given us a step on our, on our, uh, you know, the one step on our adversaries, and it's also helped to in a significant deterrent capability. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I've obviously, uh, you know, being uh, OF one, I mean, yeah. it, everything we used came yeah. off of those things. So that's I mean, exactly it, right. it was it was awesome. Um, one of the things I want to get to also as we're looking at sort of the current state of play with logistics is what are some of your thoughts on, and I think you alluded a little bit to uh, changes of mindset, but I, I think of um, the, the I think there was a comedian, I wish I could remember, but he had a bit about um, divorces of like high profile celebrities. And there was always this, uh, well, the big argument was, well, what have they become accustomed to? And that was like the big thing to like, you know, cut half of right. money. Yeah. What have we become accustomed to that we need to start to divest yeah. of? You mentioned chow. Uh, yeah. We talked a little bit about foraging. Um, yeah. Is that something, do we need to start at that level too? So like even the guys in the GCE, when it comes to yeah. training, like maybe we, maybe you really do only have what you have on your back for a little bit or i i don't know am i yeah kind of no 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 you're not spit no it's I, I i think i understand where you're going with it it's it's a good point so i think you know in order to to solve you're not going to solve the problem but you're going to reduce the scale of the problem you have to you have to take an appetite suppressant i think that's yeah. where you're going yeah, yeah. Right? at some point you have to take an appetite suppressant you know some of the biggest you know, some of the heaviest lifts that we make are bulk liquids, you yep. know, fuel, yeah. and those kinds of things. Well, again, uh, if you can solve the fuel problem, if somebody comes up with a purple pill, you know, <laughs> to put in the gas tank and that gets you going for a while, yeah. you know, great. You know, I mean, that's fantastic. Uh, but we don't have that. Yep. And so until we have something like that, uh, yeah, we can offset with solar power. We can offset with multi-fuel. We can offset with you know, with uh, burning algae, I don't know, whatever it is, but you have to have an entire ecosystem that absorbs that and mm -hmm. is able to translate that, right? And I think in the future, you know, battery, solar, you know, you name it. I mean, I think those are all very viable. I mean, just look and see the roads today. No one would have believed that, you know, so many battery-powered vehicles are out there. We need to transition that to military vehicles. Our procurement system has to be has to enable that, you know, and there's a lot that goes into that because you have to have reliability, you know, you have to be able to turn that engine when you have to turn that engine on, yeah, right? Yeah. You have to be able to do all those things. You have to be able to operate when it's overcast all the time. And so, you know, there's there's some limitations. And there's this. like with torque issues because obviously yeah. it's heavy junk, right? Yeah, and so it's, can it, can it's it all those. I mean, yeah. I think I think we're going to see all of these issues addressed, but it's going to take time to get there. So we're kind of in this in this transition phase with, with kind of the future future energy sources, mm -hmm. if you want to call it that, that will enable a smaller footprint uh, and, you know, that appetite suppressant. 
I think that, again, is the challenges. How do you reduce that? You could say, well, we're going to put a smaller force out there. Okay, if that, if that supports your mission and your concept, great, you know. But what if you have to put a larger force out there, you know. I think there's some, um, you know, there's some technologies out there uh, where, you know, you look at it and you go, you know, we were looking at robotics um, a lot. You know, and there's if you look at some of the uh, larger, especially in the Japanese and, and even in like some of the higher end uh, vehicle manufacturers, there's a lot of robotics that are involved in it. You know, these exoskeleton suits and yep, all that yep. stuff, you know. And so I look at those and I go, OK, if I can get an exoskeleton suit on a Marine uh, that is sitting on a FARP uh, located on some island in the middle of the Pacific and, and that that exoskeleton can carry a 500 pound bomb and load it underneath a wing. Okay, that what have I done there? I've just reduced the need for a forklift and a forklift operator and fuel, you know. And so, you've got to kind of approach the yeah. problem set like that. So now, technology, if I can, technology we call it that, robotics, could enable a smaller footprint, thereby enabling less of a demand uh, and uh, signal from supply and resupply. And so I start to to reduce the scale and complexity of the problem by putting in unique capability to make that happen you know um but again those technologies are coming online um you've heard of ground effect uh i don't know if you've heard of a ground effect uh, uh vehicle basically it's it's a it's a vessel that that comes about five to ten feet off the water uh just that ground effect as a plane's taken off you or landing you just see that I, i'm not a pilot so i can't explain <laughs> this but, but basically it's the wing beneath my uh, it's the yeah, air yeah, beneath yeah. my wings right <laughs> right at, right at takeoff and, and all that and so you know there's some technology out there uh, that is working in that in that domain where it'll enable it'll enable uh, uh some of this distribution stuff i think we're looking strongly in those areas so there's a there's a lot of ways to reduce footprint but it's not going to be the you know right it's now the technology is not there right now it has but to it be will part be. of a chain it has to be part of a uh, the greater solution yeah, yeah, yeah right and and what is so then um what are your thoughts then as we are talking about this integration of uh, advancing or emerging technologies when you as a logistician look and you hear things like uh expeditionary advanced basing you hear things like stand-in forces, regardless of the size. And one of the things we talked about, you know, like, yeah, three Marines, a, a soft team, could probably do pretty well over a long term. Right. You start talking about 10, 20, yeah. 50 Marines, those jokers are going to eat. Yeah. And they're going to eat yeah. everything. Yeah. So what, what do you think? Like, what are some of the things that either help you sleep at night or raise the hairs in the back of your head when you start hearing concepts like standing forces and ex expedition advanced basing like yeah. where do you start going whoa we need to pump the brakes or this is genius let's m let's take a full yeah. 30 inch step you know the job of the logistician as i've always been trained is to be able to figure out a way to sustain the concept you know mm -hmm. and th i'm encouraged by the fact that i hear you know from our senior leaders logistics is the pacing function yeah you know great I hate to say it this way, but put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> invest in it. Mm -hmm. You've got to invest in it. As yeah. much as you invest in aviation, as much as you invest in ground combat systems, you have to be able to invest in logistics systems that will deliver what, you know, so that we can sustain. Our distribution capability is a ground-centric distribution capability. Yeah. We have to, if we're going to fight the way we envision ourselves in, in the littorals, 
regardless of where, which AOR in the world, we've got to be we've got to be naval uh, in in our capability tool bag within the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. We've got to be able to have capabilities systems that will enable the distribution and the means to sustain concepts. Uh, they're great concepts. There's no doubt about them. I, I, absolutely, but you know, and and you know, the commandants have said this, and and you know, uh, every senior leader that I've heard has said, you know, the long pole in the tent is logistics. Okay, what are you doing about it? Mm -hmm. You know, truly, mm -hmm. what are you doing? How are you invested in it to make sure that we have the capabilities that we need for the future fight? So, short of that, you know, I think what's what should give us. Well, we should really concentrate our our, our current efforts because you've got you've got a problem here. I, I look at this, you know, um, I love the Mu concepts. I, I mean, the mission sets that are assigned to the Mu, the way you know the brainchild behind the Mu and everything else. I mean, what a what a phenomenal concept. A Mu goes out, and it has a range of missions that it can do, and the force is task organized to do that. I view that the same way from the logistics force. Um, we can we can task organize and that's ass, you know we we really can, give it the extra capability that we currently have, add additive, to uh, what we currently have, and I believe that we could we can for we can sustain anything you know, uh, mm -hmm. with given mm -hmm. with the distribution needs that I keep talking about, uh, but short of that, if we think we want to reorganize the entire MLG, and and the logistics system and all that stuff, I think we we're, we're being too too short-sighted and we're reducing our flexibility to do what we need mm. on the logistics side mm -hmm. um you know you if you 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 know we talk about for example <coughs> do we want to get rid of maintenance battalions no maintenance battalions are the center of excellence for maintenance in the mess they they maintain the operational rate. we're not going to be rebuilding engines in a in an eabo <laughs> scenario right but we need mechanics that know how to rebuild engines because those are the same ones that we're going to have a multifunctional maintenance marine that can, can fix everything from a Toyota Hilux all the way to a tank engine, so mm -hmm. to speak. And mm -hmm. I'm exaggerating for the point there. But, but it, is the, it is the schoolhouse for the MEFs to train. So we, we, we generate from, from those functional areas, we generate the marine and the capabilities that we need to task organize into these direct support elements or these littoral support elements or whatever they may be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's such a great point. It's something I didn't really think about with some of those second and third order effects of restructuring or reorganizing or, God forbid, the D word, divesting of something. Yeah. But we lose those centers of excellence because yeah. if you don't have them, then you don't have people thinking about it anymore. You don't have people working on it anymore. You're not yeah. – innovating on yeah. those platforms or in that so that just goes away right. and that's that's awful yeah i mean we we want we we have to have i mean there's there's unique technical skills that have to be you know everybody well you know um it's just a, a truck driver yeah yeah it's just a truck driver till the truck driver gets in an accident and then you find the causative reasons where because it wasn't he or she wasn't trained enough or because they the loads were insecure or because you know whatever the case mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. or you know um we we have to have these these we have to build the experience base and have the functional advocacy within those centers of excellence because otherwise we dilute it too much yeah. you know and then we lose 
we lose the rep, the, the the skill experience that's passed on from one marine to the next. Yeah, you know, and we've always been proud of that. We've been able to do that, um, uh, you know. So, yeah, until we have Nirvana and we have the <laughs> we have the next, you know, we have we have the next capability, technological right. capability that will eliminate truck drivers. You know, self-driving trucks. Yeah, it's absolutely. You know, f uh, leader follower capability. You know, you have one driver and three trucks are able to fall behind it. Those are all technologies that are coming online. When they come online, yeah, maybe we, we can we can have this discussion of replace right. or divest. You know, but right now I think we're too early in that conversation. Yeah, and uh, we still need to be able to maintain those centers of excellence. It's almost as if like our anxiety over this emerging peer threat is giving us is it allowing us to be as patient with yeah. some of these emerging well uh, yeah that's a great it's <laughs> an excellent point so again you've got to go back to the national defense authorization act of 2018 right which set the time right it set it told us it said hey your near peer competitor is china you know that that's the one or your peer your peer competitor is china and they're going to have the capability to you know to basically dominate by 2030 okay that's that's the rush yeah and yeah. if you know by all accounts and i haven't had an intel estimate in a long time but but you know everything that i hear and and read and open open reporting is they are they do have it and they you know that timeline is no longer 2030 is more like 2026 you know in some areas when you look at their carrier capabilities yeah you know their carrier capability you know 10 years ago was non-existent today they're running you know i think they're on the third or fourth carrier yeah uh the kill's probably laid for the fourth one but they're running flight ops so when you have a you when you have an adversary that 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 or a competitor that that can can pace at that speed you've got to do something quickly mm -hmm. you just have to when you do something quickly you have to be very deliberate and thoughtful yeah. though and how you do it you know the traditional ways of you know it takes us 10 years you know, to bring something on, right. or, you know, that's not going to work. We have to do something quicker. GCSS Marine Corps, you know, I talked to somebody who was, who started GCSS Marine Corps, and they had retired from the Marine Corps, and uh, and they were coming into their second GS job, you know, and this is when we were just letting GCSS Marine Corps. So that thing's already outdated in many <laughs> aspects, right? right? We can't do that for the future fight. Yeah. So... You mentioned the term uh, pacing function and pacing threat in, in relation to each other. How is China the lo like the the logisticians pacing threat? And uh, in, in the sense, like where where do we see their capabilities? Because you mentioned st uh, some like strategic assets. Like, how, where does that go uh, across the board? Well, you know, so I think you know when from a from a logistics standpoint. When you look at their capabilities to manufacture, because you got to go back to the industrial base, right? I mean, I think it's, you know, their uh, their capabilities to generate uh, resources to build, you know, uh, capabilities: airplanes, trucks, boats, ships, whatever, uh, weapon systems. Uh, I'd say it far out, far out matches ours, you know. Um, and so when there's that level of, of industrial capability, uh, obviously, um, and ours is somewhat limited by the fact that we've offshore a lot of our, you know, our, our manufacturing capabilities, um, 
okay, uh, you know, are are opportunities to to draw to build this web that I described earlier become very limited, you know, um, and so you know, uh, I think that's probably where you look at it. I mean, does it become a pacing? I think the pacing threat. Uh, is one that's just viewed at truly as as is defined. It is a threat, uh, existential threat to the nation itself. Is it uniquely logistics? Other than they have a broader, you know, I think a more robust industrial base than we do, uh, and have the ability to turn quickly on their supply chains and process quickly. Um, I think that's where you know there's a, there's something in. Uh, in in uh, quantity over quality sometimes, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and I think this is one of those cases. For yeah. sure, I mean that the the one positive of autocratic regime is, I say I want it. That's I don't exactly know why right. you need other people to talk That's to about this. I said <laughs> I want it, so yeah. let's make it happen. That's true. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, you know, and just hearing you talk, sir, it makes me think a lot of sort of Rome's strategy. And, and historian, please correct me here, but uh, when Hannibal yeah. had come across. And every general that they threw out was getting defeated. They finally figured out, like, well, we'll just batten down the hatches. They don't have a logistics supply chain. Yeah. They're just going to eat the land until they can't anymore, and yeah. then they'll have to go home. Yeah. Is that sort of how they defeated Hannibal? Uh, I'm, I, I'm not an ancient historian. Okay. Uh, well, let's say that's how they did it. Yeah, sure. um, just for saying. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, you know, I think a good example Vic, to look at is probably Ukraine at the beginning of the war. Okay. You know, I mean, look at that. I mean, there you have a very formidable, what we thought was a very formidable adversary with, with, with phenomenal capability. Their limit of advance was defined by their ability to sustain themselves. Mm. They... They they culminated before they even got to the line of departure. <laughs> right. I mean, right? I mean, yeah. if, if Ukraine had had the capability to uh, to truly target, you know, the the massive lines of combat power that was moving to the Russian combat power that was moving to the front, probably would have been a different, at least initially, would have sure. been an entirely different outcome, yes, right? Sir. They would have just it would have been the road to Baghdad, and this would have been the road to to Moscow, probably, right? Uh, where you know we they would have just obliterated the columns and columns of of, uh, of tanks and they and, and to their credit they did enough but but uh, they truly could have put a true blunt force instrument against them and done that um, you know well, and then you're also seeing Russia's inability to sustain the force even now where, right you know the captured right. Russians are talking about how they don't even have any food yeah right I mean so it's you know a lot of it is you know is you can think of you know Russian you know how many times have, has Russia gone outside of their national boundaries to provide operational? Mm. How, how long, I guess from what, have they really truly extended in the past their operational reach to sustain their forces? They've always been, they've had these, these, uh, these commands that operate within their sectors, and, but are they truly, you know, like we're a global force. You know, we sustain across a global enterprise. Um, and, you know, for the Russians, they just didn't have that. They yeah. didn't have that experience to be able to plan uh, or to be able to extend their 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 supply chains. Uh, and uh, and it was viewed as a very, you know, very ground combat centric thing. But yet they didn't have the means to do it. Yeah. And I think the comment, you know, talks about it. It is, you know, logistics is the pacing function. Sure. It is. It truly, truly is. Because if you can't get to that line of departure without running out of gas, sure. you can have all the great concepts in the world, 
Uh, it's not going to happen. Well, and the, and the SIF isn't break glass in time of war. These Marines are need to eat. This gear has to run. Right. Um, so it's not as if you just mothball them once you get them on the island. No, right. So so you are, you know, that go back to that Ukrainian example. You know, they had to sustain themselves from the time they turned that truck on at home station mm-hmm. all the way through to the line of departure, assembly air's line of departure, and then beyond. Yep. And the hardest part is had, they hadn't even reached the hardest part. The hardest part was how do you sustain them in combat as yeah. they're maneuvering on the battlefield? You know? right. they, they hadn't even reached that part yet. They were just still on the highway trying to get, you know, the rest stop, you know. <laughs> so And they were running out of stuff. So uh, I wish – I, I guess, uh, you know, he probably wished he had a couple of marine logisticians there planning for him. He would have done, you know, godly. But anyway, yeah. yeah. So. Well, yeah, that about covers what uh, what I had to offer. Okay, I think, <laughs> yeah, though this has been fantastic, sir. Yeah. I, I'm again like so generous with your time, especially yeah. as busy as you are, sir. So I, I really appreciate you. This has been great. Um, you know, as a uh, as an Amtracker heavy junk guy, ah, there you, go. you know, there logistics. You go. Th- we a very small community understands yeah. very well. Uh, the logistics literally keeps the damn thing going, yeah. um, and so uh, just fascinated to hear you talk. Um, from your expertise um, and your understanding of what's going on. And so your insights have been yeah. awesome to facilitate this discussion, sir. So yeah, it's you. exciting. And I think just, number one, thanks to both of you for doing this because I think it's it's invaluable to – not because I'm speaking, trust me. It's not that. It's <laughs> But but all the other work that you guys do to capture, you know, from, uh, you know, everyone from a, a lance corporal all the way up to a general or civilian, whatever, to capture the experiences is so important to, to – to catalog those and, and have them available to our to our members to, to kind of read, enjoy, listen to, all those things. Um, <clears throat> everything I said, I I just want to caveat with this. You know, we have a we have a we our Marines are what really make it or break us, and I think our Marine Corps today is in great hands. Absolutely. And, I, and I'm extremely I'm extremely proud of the fact that you know I have a daughter that serves in the, in the Marine Corps. I have a, do- a son that serves in the Air Force, and and I also logistician. Uh, uh, also a logistician <laughs> as well. Maybe she's probably going to kill me for saying that, but um, <laughs> but the the point is is that there's some very smart people that are working on this. Uh, and to your point earlier, I think it's you, we've got to get out of their way. Those of us yep. who have raised in a different generation, we've got to get out of their way. Give them the support they need, and then just watch. Yep. Because I truly believe that they will be able to rise to the occasion, as every generation of Marine has. You know, since the founding of our Marine Corps, they've always gone and they've gone. Wow, how did you do that? When you look back at it, and it was just the the innovative spirit, the esprit de corps, the motivation of our young Marines uh, and the leadership that really get them to that point. So, yeah, thanks well for said, having sir. me. I agree 100%. Yep. Well, thank you again so much for being here, sir. Absolutely. Thanks. See you around. All right, thanks. <laughs> all right, all our listeners, thank you so much. Scuttlebutt is a production of the Marine Corps Association. I am William Truding, but you've also heard the voices or contributions of Vic Rubel, USMC Retired, Nancy Lichman, or Ty Frazier. The opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect the official stance of the Marine Corps, DOD, or Marine Corps Association.